Welcome to the Executive's Lounge. This is your podcast host, Christine Fauner. I am bringing you amazing stories from amazing women in leadership from across the globe. Let's get started. All right, so I'm here today to introduce Amy Ansari. She is the Chief Executive of Clear Global, and she works out of a Greek island half the year and then out of Boulder from there on out. Uh, I'm going to hand it over, Amy. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us what Clear is, and we'd love to hear your story. Um, great. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. I really appreciate it, and um, I'm look, looking forward to this. Um, so, yeah, I um, I work for an organization called Clear Global. Clear stands for Community Listening, Engagement, Accountability, and Reach. And what we do is we, um, well, the mission statement is to support uh, people to get information and be heard whatever language they speak. So the first thing we do is do research on infect, uh, how, how to effectively communicate and engage people, um, what languages they speak, who they trust, what sources of information they trust, how they like to get information, how they like to be heard. Um, and then develop that into different kinds of programming, whether that be about um, translation, you know, just basic translation, and translation is quite complicated. Um, we have a community of over 100,000 linguists that support us uh, translating into over 300 languages globally. We translate about somewhere between 25 and 30 million words per year. Um, and then we also do voiceover um, subtitling and sort of the full range of language services. Um, one of the big things, one of the big hits is the plain language editing, um, because even, you know, no matter who you are, whether or not you have a PhD or your literacy level is quite low, if something is written in plain language, it's much, much easier to understand. Um, and then we take that a bit further and we, we can also develop posters and things like that. Um, we have an amazing graphic team, graphic design team, and we take that further and develop language technology. So the sort of Google Translate, but for the languages Google doesn't work in. So Hausa, Kanuri, Lingala, Nande, you know, languages you've never heard of. <laughs> and one thing I love about doing this podcast is that you learn about jobs and businesses and industry that you didn't even think about before or that you just weren't aware of how deeply and and niche you can get on expert level service. Um, so I want to back up a little bit. And, and the question that came to my mind was, how did you start working for a company that does this? So let's go all the way back. Like, Tell us your story about how you got to where you are today. Okay. So it's, um, it's a nonprofit organization. That's the first thing to say. And um, and my, like when I was young, young, like young, um, like in the 80s, I, um, I was put into a, um, a computer class um, because I couldn't sing. And it was the only other thing that was at that same time. Oh, um, we should do a horrible voice karaoke. I'm in that boat too. Terrible, terrible singer. So <laughs> I was put in into this computer class. And so I learned how to code. Um, from the time I was 11 or 12, like really young. Um, and uh, 
kind of grew out of that um, and went to university and uh, studied the Soviet Union. Um, and when I got out of university, um, well, after I got my master's degree anyway, um, but one of the things I had studied was the Soviet Union and therefore Russian. And the Soviet Union was collapsing at the time. Uh, that gives you a little age date for me. Um, You're in good company. <laughs> um, and so the first job, uh, one of the first jobs I got internationally was working with the United Nations in Kyrgyzstan. And I, I quickly learned that if I wanted to understand really what I was, I was supporting women's uh, civil society organizations. And I quickly learned that if I really wanted to understand the hopes and dreams and desires of these women I was supposed to be working with, I really needed to speak Kyrgyz or Uzbek. And I didn't. Um, uh, and that, and so what was happening and that, with that, and then in my next post, I, we talked about being nomadic. The next place I went was Yemen and then Bangladesh and Malaysia and, you know, just a number, a lot of different countries. But one of the things that kept happening was that while I speak four languages, five languages, I could never communicate effectively with those people I was supposed to be helping. You know, I think um, that's a good point, Amy, that language is so powerful. You know, my we, we talked a little bit too about my my artwork behind me that, you know, my background is in linguistics and language and language development and acquisition. And mm -hmm. and partially went into that space as an advocate because I wanted people to see and learn and know that language is powerful. And when you feel like you don't have it, we're somehow limiting that power. So I love that you're mentioning this here. Yeah, and you know, the world's population is 8 billion people. Half of those people, 4 billion people, don't speak English or Russian or French or Chinese. And therefore they can't get access to information. Like even if they have access to the internet and all the information out there, even with Google Translate, they can't get access to that information. And the only way, you know, you can't translate it all. You can't even translate all of Wikipedia. So the only way people are going to get information and be able to participate in global conversations that directly affect them, you know, climate change directly affects the poorest of the poor. And those are often people who don't speak English or Russian or French or Chinese, um, is to build language technology right. in those languages. You know, you just you just kind of touched on something that we like to talk about in these podcasts, which is, you know, what is your biggest challenge or roadblock? But you you actually speak to it a little bit here from the micro to macro level, just really naturally in the advocacy that I hear in your voice, which is, you know, on the micro level, the challenge is I want to communicate and I want others to be able to communicate. And at the macro level, that means you can you can contribute to global conversations about global issues that are impacting billions across the globe. Yeah, and that's that's really what we're about is you know making that creating those pathways so that people can so the voiceless can have a voice and know what the impacts of climate change are and say and you know be able to voice their opinion about what the world is doing to help them um, how yes. did you become chief executive how did this how did this lead you to to leading well so i i mentioned uh, that bit about me being a young kid a little girl in a computer class 
um, I sort of dropped that after a while, but coming back into this organization, um, you know, building language technology is about coding. It's very advanced coding and I can't do it. But it, it um, when I, I was kind of, I had just, there's, I went to South Sudan um, to lead a large, large aid organization. Um, we had, I had 800 staff, you know, big program. There was a civil war. Um, I have worked a lot in humanitarian crises. Um, and when I came out of that, I was done. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to go back to a crisis again. I, you know, it, one of those really pivotal moments in your life when you're just like done. Um, and, um, I, I saw a level of burnout that we all have felt, but I don't know about that, that acute. Yeah. I mean, I've to anyway. Um, but so I saw the advertisement for this position and I thought, oh my gosh, if we could build language technology, if we could make it so that people could speak their own language and be heard, uh, you know, because when you're speaking your own language, it's, you're really sure of what you're saying. When you're having to in a, think in a different language, it's not quite so passionate. Um, if we could do that, that would be a total game changer for everything I've ever done in my life. Um, like my whole career would have been different, you know? <laughs> and so many people's lives would be different. Um, so I applied. I no hope I was going to get it. You know, I'd run large country programs. I'd run regional programs, but I'd never run an organization before. Um, and, you know, they, the board decided, yeah, sure, give it a go. <laughs> um, and I'm grateful to them for doing that. Um, they're wonderful people um, and they took a risk. And I hope they think it out. <laughs> Yeah, that does make me think of, you know, the question of what kind of leader are you and and how do you maximize your leadership skills and strengths? You know, you say they took a chance on you, but they obviously saw you as a leader. So how how would you describe that? Um, so I was telling we've just hired a new fundraising director. I was and I was telling her the other day that I'm not actually very good at anything. I'm kind of good at a lot of things, um, but not what I'm really good at, though, is hiring really smart people who know what they're doing and letting them get on with it, making sure we all stay within a strategy and we're all going in the same direction. But everybody's really smart and really good. And I just, you know, I can sit around and watch Netflix. <laughs> sure. That that's all you do now. That's all you will do. Um, I think all of us listening would know that being the orchestrator, helping people communicate effectively, working in their lane, but also working together towards a common goal, it's not so easy all the time. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. We have a really good team. <laughs> so, how many people are on your team technically? I mean, I know you said you have a hundred thousand people across the globe translating for you but in general um how how many people are on your team as as the leader of clear so the organization has 120 staff um the community of translators is is over 100,000 so we have 120 staff now um reporting directly to me now see now you've caught me because we just hired two people um 122 <laughs> well, yeah, i mean it's uh, um yeah, so it's a, it's like seven or eight people Great. Um, that report directly to me. Wonderful. 
Um, you know, part of the work that I do in building this this leadership community and this women's community is is the executive leadership coaching. And so, in that coaching, I, my unique approach in in coaching is um, helping women step outside of their comfort zone and really um, step into nature, step into adventure, step into outdoor learning strategies, in deep mm -hmm. dive learning moments. And so, um, you know. I'm wondering if there's an experience or an adventure that you could tell us about where um, it went completely sideways and you had to utilize your strengths and leadership skills to help you navigate out of it to be able to tell us the story today. Um, so many times. I mean, I can tell you a very funny one about um, rock climbing in South Sudan. Very interested. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about nature and getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and that's, I mean, basically the Civil War started and we weren't allowed to go to the climbing area um, that we had been in. Um, and we've, you know, we negotiated, we had tea, the army was there. We negotiated, we had tea, we did the thing. And they said, okay, show us what you're talking about. Um, and so we started to go up to the rock the area where we rock climbed and it started to rain. Now, I don't know if you've ever rock climbed, but raining is not a good thing. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> uh, so, um, so then we had to show them how to rock climb in the rain. In the rain. Um, and I'm assuming they don't have the rock climbing shoes. No, we had our own. Right. But, um, so that's basically what we had to do is um, one of my friends who is a very, very good rock climber climbed one of the routes and then kind of jokingly said, do you want to get on this? And, you know, and I was like, you know, playing that sort of game where he was good cop, I was bad cop. And I was like, no, that's too scary. You know, um, I don't know if that's really about leadership, but then certainly negotiating with um, armed forces to have access to a climbing area was a very interesting use of, of, of some of my negotiation skills. It is. It is. Um, but I, I mean, I suppose um, it, there are so many times when I've been in, when things have just gone sideways uh, in, in my life, in my career. Um, I, actually, you mentioned I live on a Greek island part of the time. I um I needed a this was another South Sudan story, but I needed a break from South Sudan. I really needed to get out for a little while. Um what for what we call rest and re recuperation for R and R. And I had planned to go to Wild Fitness, which is you know one of those outdoor fitness courses thing in Mombasa, and they lost the their lease at the last minute. And um uh you know, I couldn't change my leave and I didn't know what I was gonna do because I really needed it. And you know, knew that I needed it, and that's I think a really big part of leadership is knowing when you need the break, um, and taking that time and making that space to do it. Um, so I had a friend who lived on a Greek island, and I said, "Can I come?" And she said, "Yeah." So I bought tickets, and I got here, and I loved it. And um, I needed a place to live after my South Sudan assignment, so I bought a house. I love that. And I think that 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 sort of you know being able to um, have you know everything fail and then see that as an opportunity and take advantage of that opportunity fairly quickly is um, that that sort of you know knowing both intellectually and in your gut that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, um, that yeah. ability 
to make Stepping those off that ledge sometimes into the unknown is the hardest part because, you know, and I think about this and I'm thinking about listeners listening that you've been in war, civil war, poverty stricken, violent areas of, of the world. And you are capable of navigating and, and even having some, some fun doing it in, in stressful spaces <laughs> of making friends with military, trying to go climbing, you know, <laughs> you can feel so, you know, in the moment you may not recognize the capability, but sometimes when you step into the unknown on the personal level in your personal life, feels scarier than some of the scariest moments you didn't feel were scariest at the time, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it's about experience. Right. Right. I mean, how many times do you buy a house? Hopefully not too many times. Um, and that's a kind of a, a scary experience, but it's that, I think it's the, um, the confidence that um, you know what's good for you um, and you know how to make a decision. Um, not making a decision is also making a decision, uh, but making a decision while difficult, uh, particularly, you know, I think it's that thing when everything kind of goes, you know, and you still have to be the leader and you still have to be able to say, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go this way. Even if everything else is going crazy, you've got to go, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, talk a little bit. I mean, you're talking a little bit about the the regulation it takes as a leader to really help create that foundational support for everybody else that's got to keep going. Um, I, I really love that. Yeah, including yourself, right? Like everything inside you is going, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's well, a, I don't think about faking it. It's just about saying having that confidence that you do know. Um, that there is a right, there is a pathway. Yeah, I mean, that kind of leads me to thinking about, you know, leadership development and leadership practice that, you know, we all, you know, I always say that we're a sum of our stories, that we're a sum of our experiences and that those experiences drive us into new opportunities or new needs or new ways of understanding. And, you know, in your own leadership practice development and your own space of experience and learning, what is a book or a podcast or a resource that you might share with us that has been foundational for you? That's something that has helped you reflect on your own leadership. Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. Um, my, so I, this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I, it, Robert Massey wrote um, a biography of Catherine the Great, which is really good. It's really easy to read. And it talks about, you know, a woman in a position of great power um, who wanted to make a lot of change and had the best intentions um, and really struggled and struggled with being a woman in a role that is not typically a woman's role um, and struggled with being very, very intelligent um, with ideas that she wanted to take forward and just couldn't make them happen um, with the perceptions of, you know, there are all these terrible rumors, myths about Catherine the Great. They're just, you know, outlandishly wrong. You know, the disinformation of the 18th century, you know. Um, but um, so I, that's, those, that, per, that 
biography in particular has really, uh, you know, when I read it, I really sort of thought, okay, actually she had it much worse than me. Um, um, and she made, she made interesting decisions and she made interesting compromises um, that have helped me to, to reflect on how I make decisions and how I make compromises. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, um, you know, and I've, I've, I've known this for a long time, but sometimes you, you feel it. Someone said to me the other day, are you ready to step into more greatness mm. um, and recognize that there are certain people who are not going to like it any longer? Somebody yeah. likes you right now, but if you step into this new space mm. and you do this in a different way, are you ready for some people to stop following, stop being there, stop believing? And, you know, yeah. as a person who's done a lot in my own life, in my own career, mm -hmm. I hesitated because I feel like I've worked really hard to get the reputation I have, to, to be an expert in the spaces I'm an expert. And, and there's a piece of me that was afraid to go and do because I may lose the respect and reputation with a faction of those people. Um, you, uh, so my favorite book is the Robert Massey, Catherine the Great biography. My favorite podcast is a podcast uh, called um, Wind of Change. Um, you've probably never heard of it. Wind of Change was a song by the Scorpions. Nice. Like, <laughs> I might um, play that in our outro of our podcast here. I love it. Um, <laughs> it it's fascinating because the line between, um, you know, what you think is the truth and reality um, and what is misinformation, disinformation um, or, or not, and how that makes you lose friends, colleagues, you know, what people, how they perceive you, how they see you, it, it, it's talked about a lot in that podcast. Um, and, and, you know, somewhere in the middle of it, it's a, it's sort of a eight part podcast or something. Um, somewhere in that middle of it, you realize that your whole perspective has just flipped, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that um, the person who, the, you know, what you thought was true might, not be or it might be but um uh and and i that that was a real lesson for me that you know that just because i think you know that i can um i can talk about something and that might p piss people off it might upset them um but which one of us is right and which is wrong there's a lot of gray space in there and yeah and it's it's not necessarily even gray it's right. just, there isn't an answer. Mm -hmm. We're both And the right. question is like, do you continue forward, right? And that was the question posed to me, was do you continue forward? And I was like, there's a piece of me that wants to hesitate. And there's a piece of me that's like, of course I go forward. Maybe that's that alignment piece, you know, that, that yeah. we have to work on all the time. Because you have to be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I've worked for a lot of years in, in humanitarian response, as I said, and we have principles that we have to uphold. Um, and that's not easy. And it might mean that you have to do something that you don't want to do. 
um, that is really, really hard. Um, but you know, you, you have to be true to those principles. You have to be true to what you think is right and ethical. And I'm sorry if that hurts somebody. Is there something that you wish I would have asked you today that I haven't asked you or something that we should know about you before we end our time here today? I have a dog. <laughs> we're, we're lots of dog lovers in this group. <laughs> Tell me about your dog. His name is Spike. He is very camera shy. Um, but uh, having a dog has probably been one of the best things I've done for myself. Tell and me so. more about this. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine, I mean, you've been traveling in different countries and doing, you know, these different assignments and, and having a dog in your home on the Greek island. Mm. It's what's, it's, you know, it, that's, I don't, I still travel a lot, but I don't move anymore. Right. You know, I have homes and I have a dog and we go for a walk. Like I go, I take a half an hour or 45 minute walk every morning and every evening and that gives me that mental space it gives me that clarity gives me that time to think um and he's a great companion and he's funny and he gives me an excuse to laugh all the time um and it's um yeah you know i mean i think just having that an animal a pet um that you have to care for and that cares for you is really is really special um, I agree. I have, I, have, I have two little nuggets over here. You know, you, you touch on something that I have found really interesting in that, you know, having a pet or, you know, for me, it's, it's my dogs um, in your care actually forces you sometimes to give yourself the same level of love and care and meeting the needs of your pets um it forces you a bit to do it for yourself you know if you don't take your dogs out for a walk um they get agitated they chew on things they run around they get upset um they they love being outside and they'll let you know and then you laugh and have a good time and you realize that actually a piece of that is really important to me too he gives me if i bring my phone on a walk i get a dirty look like i get this so i'm not allowed to take my phone on the walks I, you have a you have a really great regulator at home. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to send a picture of of your guy too. I want to I want to show our listeners who is this guy that helps you get outside every couple couple times a day at the minimum. So I will definitely send you a picture of Spike. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, that ends our, our podcast discussion for today. I thank you for being here. I'm so glad to have been able to share your story, Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us today in the Executives Lounge, where we bust open the doors, slam through the ceilings, and make sure that we have a spot at the table and that we are the lounge. We will continuously bring you amazing stories from amazing women in leadership. I am Christine Fauner, your executive leadership expert, continuously looking for those executive leaders that seek community, continuous learning, and have a desire to find the next adventure. You can find more podcast recordings and episodes at www.romyoursoul.com.
roamingtheworld.com. That's R-O-A-M, roaming the world, finding amazing stories from amazing women, sharing their leadership skills and talents with us all over the globe. Join our Facebook group, Roam Your Soul, and you can also find us on Instagram, at Roam Your Soul. And don't forget to check out the website for upcoming adventures, www.roamyoursoul.com. And if you're looking for that next executive level leadership coach, you can find me at roamyoursoul.com slash Christine Fawner Coaching.